0: Welcome to
2: Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Pavel Stepanov. Pavel, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me, Jeffrey. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So why don't you tell our listeners who you are, where you're from? Well, I am located in Bellevue, Washington. I'm originally from Russia. I'm an immigrant to the United States. I've been living here for 25 years. My background is a little bit of various. I went to law school. I have a law degree from Seattle University School of Law. I worked in the legal industry. And I think in the midst of a housing crisis of 2009, 2010, that's when I was finishing law school. And I started working for a law firm negotiating short sales and loan modifications. So at that time, That was like the hottest topic um, since I've been practicing bankruptcy law. And by chance, I got involved into real estate. So I opened the world of real estate for me and uh, started doing that, pretty much abandoned the law practice. And uh, after I've been doing real estate for about uh, three, four years, I opened my own brokerage, at which point I saw the biggest, biggest need for virtual assistance for my agents and at that point, the idea of Virtue was born, and that's the current company that I run. We provide virtual assistance to small and medium sized businesses as well as to uh, solo agents, teams, and brokerages. Awesome,
2: and we'll definitely dive into what you're doing today with Virtue Desk. I'm a big believer in offshore virtual assistance, and I have you know, virtual assistants for my digital marketing agency that help me with admin tasks as the, the leader of that marketing agency. I have virtual assistants in my commercial real estate firm where they're helping me with prospecting and, and different aspects of the business that are necessary but don't necessarily need to take my time on that frontline repetitive task that can be outsourced and then save me time to just jump on that second call to be the closer. So exactly, uh, I'm, I'm a big believer and we'll definitely dive into a lot of that. As a little just disclaimer for this episode, the Huntington Beach Air show, which is only once a year, I can is hear this it. weekend. I can and hear them already. They are already. practicing, <laughs> yeah,
0: and I, I have a studio them.
2: mic here that picks up everything. So even though I have all yeah. the windows closed, and all the doors shut, they are blue angels flying a hundred yards over my house sometimes, and it gets loud. So. Little disclaimer for this episode. I'll try to mute myself when Pavel is dropping his knowledge, and uh, that way
1: I don't have airplanes <laughs> flying here yet, so <laughs>
2: yeah. it won't disrupt yeah. his message. Um, right. But just to kick things off, you know, before we dive into what you're doing today, what got you into the real estate industry initially?
1: Well, as I was saying, I was working at the law firm and negotiating short sales, and at one point where you know when you try to negotiate a loan modification with the with the lender. Sometimes they don't do loan mods, but they were offering sh- sh- short sales. And we used to refer out those deals to a local real estate agent who at a time was on vacation. And when it happened, uh, once I was negotiating a loan mod and the servicer uh, denied loan mod, but they offered uh, short short sales and an alternative. And I was about to refer to an agent who we usually refer business and he was on vacation Nobody picked up the phone, nobody answered the email. So I figured, well, I might as well go get my own license and just list that property. So that's what I did. I, you know, I listed the property, sold it. And at this time I figured, well, it's not a bad record. I might as well just try to, you know, help out the other seven, eight files I had on my desk for a short sale. So I think I got like seven listings, my first like couple of weeks of being licensed as a real estate agent. Because again, I was just basically coming from my other side of the job, so that kind of like by accident I got dragged into it. But I, it, I quickly figured out that the it was actually more lucrative than actually doing what I was doing. So I liked that idea, and um, it was definitely less stressful than what I was doing. So I started doing real estate. So for the first like year and a half, I was primarily a listing agent, where I was just uh, you know going to meeting with clients who I already met on on the other deals and uh, signing listing agreements and just listing their houses. So I think like after a year and a half of doing that, I actually realized, well, I could probably represent buyers as well. So I started representing buyers and um, I think probably then I discovered that there's a way you can also generate more business by calling for sale by owners and expires. Because before that, I had no idea that people can tell you no when you actually show up with the listing agreement at their door. That was like, do people really say no? I mean, how so? Really? Do people try to negotiate your, your commission? It was never like even come across my, my mindset that thing, you know, because all the time I was actually showing up at the appointments where people were expecting me to come and list their houses. So I started doing, I actually started doing more with, with what I call like retail, retail real estate where you actually go to the retail customers and uh, try to get them to sign the listing agreement, or try to represent them in the buyers' agree- buyers, you know, agency agreement. So I was doing that, and and I guess they, bringing that kind of a mindset that nobody will tell no to you kind of helped me. I guess in the long long run, got it. Yeah, and it's funny that you came into
2: the listing side, you know, first seven eight listings. Just yes, 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 sign here. Like no one even gave you any resistance.
1: No. And then no. as you And I didn't realize t- people can actually say no.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. You didn't you didn't really realize that in yeah. a usual circumstance that that isn't the case.
1: <laughs> exactly. I no. learned it later on, you know. I learned later on, obviously, you know, and I and I learned it, well, you gotta actually have some closing skills, you know. So right. you gotta you gotta learn how to close. And uh, I signed up for coaching for Tom Ferry Coaching. So I learned a lot there, and at that time, I think uh, my Tom Ferry coach uh, told me, "Well, you got to start utilizing a VA to help you because what you what you're doing, you're spending a lot of time running your uh, business, and uh, you cannot you're spreading yourself too thin." So. Uh, so you need to actually leverage that. And he recommended me uh, four hour a four-hour week, uh, you know. Four-hour uh, work week by Tim Ferriss. Yeah, four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss. He recommended me the book. I've read it, and that was like the biggest eye-opener for me. And I figured, well, I need to get a VA to help me do prospecting calls because what I was good at, uh, just showing up at the door and getting people to sign the agreement, because I was still actually was carrying that mindset with me. They wouldn't say no. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah,
2: absolutely. That mindset's powerful, but you touched on a few very key things that I believe are important to reiterate. My first exposure to the concept of a virtual assistant, uh, that was also from Tim Ferris, four hour work week. Mm -hmm. And so when I was an employee in my mid twenties, I hired a VA and was paying a VA, it broke down to be $5 an hour and they were taking care of a bunch of my tasks that I was getting paid $30 an hour to do. And I would finish my, I through that book, was able to negotiate to uh, work remote, back when working remote was not common. (laughs) And the company was was also a very old school thinking company, but I negotiated that. And so then instead of me just needing to sit there for eight hours, now my paycheck was based on results, not time, and I was leveraging the VA to do some of the more administrative and time-consuming tasks that were repetitive. And I was, you know, netting $25 an hour and not even needing to do that work. So that was a really interesting concept to me, even from the employee standpoint. And then that carried over to now when I own my real estate marketing agency after Mm -hmm. that, because I transitioned from that employment opportunity to real estate marketing agency. And then from that, now I still have that marketing agency using VAs and I then have this real estate commercial sales brokerage that I'm also using VAs. And so one thing that I've noticed is that Tim Ferriss talks about this in the book. Mm -hmm. Training is critical. Like you really have to be so explicit in the training and then set a task, but say, hey, when you're, you know, 10% done, you know, stop in an hour or two, let's check your work. Let's make sure you're on the right path, Mm -hmm. because it's happened to me. I hired a VA, set them on a task. They, based on my bad instructions, were doing things not how i expected they got to the end <laughs> and they had to redo it all right exactly so, yeah so training yeah. is so important and oh, it is. Not, it is. i would i would love for you to talk about you know virtue desk because your virtual assistant company specializes in real estate right
1: well yeah that's how we started out uh we are actually right now working more with uh other industries but still uh real estate is actually our backbone because that's kind of my background But training is a big part of it. And we do train them on, uh, you know, basic like prospecting, admin tasks, uh, transaction coordination. Uh, TC is the biggest part of it because uh, frankly, um, I I noticed that when that was like one of my biggest uh, pain points, when I was running a real estate company, uh, my VA was scheduling an appointment. I was showing up, signing up. And then after that, what am I going to be better at? And I was figured I'm going to be best at actually meeting people, talking to people, closing deals. Than actually doing doing the paperwork, so somebody needed to do the paperwork, but exactly the way I do it. So what I did, I created the checklist the way it should be done. That was like my first SOP standard operating procedure for my small real estate company, which was like myself with no assistant. I mean, no no uh, agents, and that's what we actually at Desk are focusing on. The building the the training modules uh, based on those uh, TC tasks that need to be p- performed. Some of the TC stuff is state specific, and we service uh, service agents across the country in Canada. So obviously, we cannot train on state specific things, you know, like local MLS rules or whatever. But we do train on basic concept, uh, which uh, which is important, and and it's pretty much across the board across the country, the same everywhere. Whatever goes to the TC, and so we have a TC trainer here in our office in Bellevue, Washington, that actually training our VAs on that, uh, because she's currently she's also you know she she was working as a as a transaction coordinator manager for the brokerage I run because I still own the the brokerage here. I don't run it anymore, but I do run I own the brokerage. So so training on that part was actually I think crucial because when you once you train people to do things exactly. That needs to be done, that's going to make your life way easier because as you said, you don't get to the end and you just realize it was all done incorrectly. So you want to make sure it's all done right and done to your specific instructions. That's why SOP is crucial because again, if something happens to your VA, they get hit by a bus tomorrow, somebody needs to step in and finish the job and get the job done the same way. You know, So it doesn't take you out of the commission by training the new person. But these right. basically, they will be reviewing your SOP before you start training on specifics.
2: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And with the SOPs, I think a lot of my listeners are probably just like, oh, I don't have those. So does VirtuDesk help with the creation of those SOPs from their processes if
1: they have Yes, none? Yes and no. Let me sure. tell you, we don't do it as a service. Uh, right. But however, when you hire a virtual assistant from us, virtual assistant can actually... Start creating like SOP as they go, as they work, because they know that, you know, they need to have a checklist and we hire people who are organized and more of a, and that kind of a mindset that they, everything they do has to be checklist. So we have like standard, uh, you know, like sample SOPs we can provide to a client, which a virtual assistant can edit obviously, and make it adjustable to your current business model. So that's done. All the time, I see that, and and we actually recommend our clients to say, "Hey, get your VA to actually start creating one, start creating the SOP, start creating some sort of a checklist of do's and don'ts, and what happens if what to do in case of whatever happens, any event." So that way, like when a VA resigns, VA gets sick, uh, VA's, you know, something happens, your business still runs because you need to have robust systems. That's the key of running a successful operation. Any successful operation, you gotta have robust systems that people know what they're doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more on that. And I think it would be beneficial to our listeners to go through some common real estate use cases for virtual assistants, because when I first started using VAs, I feel like I was racking my brain to use up the hours that I had already paid for And I was like, "Man, how how can I even? What can I outsource? Like, what needs to be done (laughs) by me? What can I outsource? Like, so if you maybe want to go through a methodology of thinking of, you know, if you've done it three times, it should be (laughs) SOP, or you know, if there's anything along those lines, or if you
1: and or if you'd like to give some specific real estate Mm -hmm. examples, well, uh, I'll give you. Oh yeah, I'll give you specific real estate examples as me." When I was working as an agent and also when I was working as a broker. So when I was working as a real estate agent, I when I spoke with my Tom Ferry coach and he said, your job should be only meet clients, negotiate them, negotiate deals and close them. All the rest should be handled by somebody else. And I took it to heart and I figured out, okay, everything else, which means prospecting, marketing, admin work, transaction coordination, which is a big part of it actually, a post-closing follow-up with clients that must be done by somebody else. So, the way it was actually organized is that I also later hired a you know in-house person to hang key boxes, to install signs, to print out flyers, to deliver sign sign uh, flyers to the sign the flyer boxes. So, basically everything else except dealing with the customer, I outsourced everything. As I said, as a broker owner when I first opened the brokerage, my duties switched a little bit because I still was selling. I was actually a selling broker, but I've, the, later on, I stopped doing that. But my job was basically recruiting, uh, recruiting agents for the brokerage. And that's what a lot of brokers do. That's what the major portion of it. But they're being distracted by the things like uh, compliance review of the files, paying out the commission, calculating the fees that the agent wrecks up with an office, uh, keeping track of all those fees, Charging the fees, collecting them from the agents, chasing agents for the paperwork that they didn't submit. If you come to think of it, when you run a brokerage and you are actually in the midst of, uh, let's say, reviewing the transaction, and you got a call that somebody is about to be interviewed by the brokerage, you have to like prioritize. So, again, as the broker owner, your job is recruit, 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 because you're the rainmaker for your brokerage. All the rest is just administrative work. So what i was what, what virtual assistant was doing for for me first helping me with recruiting the way he was doing it i gave him the list of agents i wanted to talk to I give him not exactly the list, but basically the specifics of the agents I would like to speak with. The transaction volume is one of them. the you know the number of units, that's what I wanted to speak with people, those people because I wanted to recruit them potentially to my brokerage. So I gave him the specifics and I gave him the MLS access, and this person went through the MLS and looked him up because I told him how to do it. He created the list on a spreadsheet of people with the phone numbers. Then another VA was actually calling those agents and, testing if somebody was actually even remotely interesting to speak with, with me. So I don't waste this time doing it. So when it happened, when we were actually pinpointed people that were willing to speak with me, I personally called those agents, scheduled a meeting, and meeting with them to recruit. Meanwhile... Again, the brokerage has to run. We have deals closing. Somebody has to review the files. So my transaction coordinator, who was also a virtual assistant, was going through the... Uh, we were using the, the broker mint at a time for that. She was reviewing files, making sure everything is in compliance. If not, she was making notes. Uh, she was you know, calling the agents to try to get them the initials, missing initials or whatever. So all of that was actually being done by the, uh, a virtual assistant, Again, at the end of the day, I go, I review what was done. I agree with that. That's fine. That's good. If not, I just send her a quick, you know, a message, she she clears out. Also, chasing the commissions. Let's say you're a broker and uh you need to, you know, contact the escrow, verify the commission. You need to verify wire instructions. All of that is also done by the virtual assistant, especially like when the escrow calls the office to verify virtual assistant. Nobody really runs. Broker just out of the offices. They don't have secretaries right now. It's all done by the virtual assistant. You're as a broker owner. You may be busy with something else. You may be busy with you know like recruiting an agent, doing a training call with an agent, uh, doing a coaching call with an agent, all of that. Uh, But administrative stuff needs to be done as well at the same time. So if you think you need to, you need to like think think of way of tasks to delegate. You don't because the tasks will find you. And you got to be looking for more people to handle those tasks. I mean, that's if you, again, if you run your brokerage correctly and you prioritize things the way that you should be engaged in as a business owner. So that's my take on it, (laughs) man. That was
2: great. I think that was really valuable for my listeners. It was valuable for me to hear some of the use cases, how you actually implemented VAs early on Mm -hmm. and splitting the tasks between multiple VAs. So I think one key concept is that you did not have the same virtual assistant make the list as the one that was calling the
1: list. No, because again- Separated those tasks. Separated, separate because you get, again, uh, the person who's actually very detailed oriented person, who's um, you know different personality type, more of a, like a geeky type, that person is probably not gonna be good on the phone or a good closer or uh, like a salesy person. Mm -hmm. And whereas the salesy person uh, is probably not going to be very detailed oriented. Uh, So you got to realize that because virtual assistants, they're not robots. They're people and uh, people have different personality types. And you need to, the sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be. And you need to hire people for specific positions who possess specific, uh, who possess certain qualifications and character traits. If the character traits the person is like very detailed oriented, if the person is very like you know, numbers guy, numbers gal, you don't want to put this person on the phone, and vice versa. The person who's great on the phone, probably not gonna be a good fit for your analytical work. So you gotta differentiate that.
2: Yep, that makes sense. And considering the personalities for your virtual assistants and then lining that up with their tasks is is really key. Love mm-hmm. that concept. So, as a business owner today, I'm curious to learn what your single most important action is that you take on a daily basis, which attributes most to your success.
1: Well, the single most important t- action I take uh, throughout the day, I guess it's probably the daily routine I have with my team. We have um, daily meetings with my team as far as the goals, the setting up the goals, meeting the goals, accountability talks. And also check with them on uh, personal stuff as well, because as a business owner, you got to check, you got to look beyond the numbers, beyond the dollars, and look at what's actually going on with people right now. Since all of our virtual assistants are in the Philippines, and um, I don't know if your listeners probably may not be aware of, Philippines is still on lockdown. They're still on the lockdown due to COVID, so people can't get out. So that takes a tremendous toll on the mental health. We had yep. people resigning because they actually just couldn't take it anymore, a uh, mental breakdown. And uh, this is just something you need to be well, very well aware of. And they need the support of whoever they work with. So we've developed a support system. We call it Virtual Desk Cares, where, again, we are uh, created a sort of an intercompany culture of uh, mutual support and, you know, and helping out each other. Because we have over 500 people there who are... Stuck working at home. Whereas, for example, we here in the United States, we can go out, we can enjoy life, we have weekends. They don't. Their weekends pretty much the same as their work days because they still stuck at home. And, and I think that keeps us successful. And we've, you know, the way we do it because we care about people that work for us, we value them more than our customers sometimes, to be honest with you, you know, because these people work and uh, they they're the reason we're successful and recognizing that is very important for any business owner.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure what you're referring to is a situation where a customer was was rude to, you know, one of your VAs, right? And then you had to kind of back the VA. Is, is that what you're kind of yeah. referring to in that yeah, situation? Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, yeah. We, we also review the situation case by case, but if our sure. VAs was actually, uh, was right, but customer was just blatantly wrong, we'll just politely pointed out and, but we will just back the the VA most likely uh, because again, you know, sometimes customers have no idea what VAs are going through and we're just trying to be understanding of that, you know, and at the same time, yeah, so. And
2: one of Tim Ferriss's concepts is that the customer is not always right. And he said, the customer is always wrong. (laughs) That's what Tim Ferriss said, not me. But there are cases where if you really just take a step back and look at the situation, and if the customer is honest with himself, then they can see how they're in the wrong. And it comes down to that 80, 20 rule. It's like it's some people, rule, yeah. some people are going to be that 80% that take up all the time, pay you the least, mm-hmm. and you just take all the time and resources. And then there are those other clients that are the 20% who pay the most, typically pay on time every time. Don't question small, they give you no things. headache and they give you no headache.
1: Yeah. So yeah. it's like, oh, where, I, where do you I want to spend
2: agree. your time? agree. 100% agree, yes. Yep. Yeah. So with that being said, I'm curious what you think for the future of the real estate industry. Five, 10-year projections, you know, with all the technology that's coming into the space with uh, virtual assistants helping to increase the amount of leverage that single agents or brokerages have. I mean, there's a lot of different aspects of the global economy coming into play with foreign investment with the ability to have a, a foreign VA help you out at a fraction of the cost of having a, a in-person assistant I mean all these things weren't even possible even 15 years ago so you know now with all the technology all the the foreign and global economic influences like what do you think is happening in the future of real estate?
1: Well, you know, uh, the concept of outsourcing even uh, 10, 15 years ago was mostly available to big Fortune 500 companies that were setting up call centers in India, the Philippines and uh, Main Street businesses or small folks were not able to, to do that. They didn't have the infrastructure, they didn't have this concept, but now I think the concept of outsource is going to be available to your everyday, you know, small business real estate person. And considering the labor shortage we're experiencing right now in this country, you know, we're not going to be getting the the political, you know, talk about it. Why? But uh, considering that the labor shortage is there and it's hard to hire quality people right now. Or sometimes simple, simple like small businesses cannot afford to hire you know quality people here in the stateside, they will go, they will look elsewhere. And it's not as much as the globalization, but I think it's more of a like the technology, you know, the fast internet, the bandwidth, the zoom calls and everything. Technology allows you to actually look beyond the your local neighborhood to hire somebody, but look across the globe to bring somebody who's actually. Probably going to be as qualified as somebody you would hire just out of college, you know, because they do have college education there. So with that, having said that, I think the future of real estate agents will probably be more getting virtual assistants to, you know, because as Tom Ferry says, the team is going to be dominating the market teams and uh, the brokerage that run as teams versus solo agent. If it's a solo agent without any leverage, that person probably going to be a dime breed, I think. Because again, the business, the, you look at the big teams like uh, Kyle Whistle team in San Diego, it's a huge team. And people like that are going to be in those, those companies, they're going to be dominating the, the market space. And they obviously do it with the, with the help of a leverage of a virtual assistants or in-house assistants, but you cannot do it alone. This is a long, this is this a marathon, not a sprint. And you got to have help doing it. And even like let's say you know same with the big athletes like boxers, they have a whole team of helping them. Same thing here. You gotta you gotta have help to actually make it big. And the sooner agents and brokers realize that, I think the concept of uh, leveraging foreign aid, it's foreign workers is basically here to stay for a long, a long time. And COVID pandemic kind of showed us that even your in-house employee can become a VA like in a like one day. <laughs> so you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's here, man. Yeah. No, it's
2: it's definitely here to stay. And I like how you mentioned, you know, it's not necessarily globalization, but it's more so just technology and technology. The, yeah. Like we're doing a Zoom call right now from California to Seattle, and then I'm going to syndicate this to thousands or potentially millions of personal devices through via podcast and they can instantly listen to it. Anywhere you know, in the I world. Mean, anywhere in the world. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, we live in, a, in an incredible age and I agree with your concepts of teams. And I think you mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, Tom Ferry talks about this. Yeah. You know, the team infrastructure in the future is, is really where it's at because once again, you have that leverage, but it's also the micro economics of keeping the splits and the money from the transactions local mm-hmm. because instead of it, huge overrides going to these big box brokerages where you kind of need the, the brand name to get the client. Instead of that, there are a lot of companies like the brokerage that I'm with, where they take way less of a cut cloud brokerage, and then you can keep that money within the team locally. You can reinvest exactly. in more marketing, you can have more, uh, more staff and more uh, admin, more virtual assistants to help your agents to focus on the income producing activities rather than getting lost in the weeds. So I agree for a lot of reasons.
1: I'm glad we're on the same page, man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, with that being said, I'm curious if you have a a favorite failure of yours. You know, a lot of learning lessons come from
1: failures. And
2: uh, yeah, so do you have a a failure that set you up for later success?
1: Oh, yeah. Wrong hires all the time, wrong hires. So when you hire somebody like on the spot sometimes and uh, you learn from it, you know, a lot of failures when you do something or say something without you know, analyzing in that. But again, that's just the way I am. And I, I'm i okay to fail because, uh, listen, I mean, I look at this from the perspective of not as failure, but, you, you know, you you either win or you learn. So every failure is, you know, whatever you do. And regardless of what you can do in life is still, it's a learning experience. So I think it actually gets you closer to the gold price, you know, so I'm okay with that. If anything sets me back and I actually... Um, I get mad at first, but actually, I appreciate that because that gives me an opportunity to, you know, to regroup. It gives me an opportunity to restructure and to, um, you know, to fix it and not only to fix it, but to, to grow from it. So, oh yeah, every failure, it's an opportunity. I love it.
2: I like that. You said <laughs> that I either win or I learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, that that's a great concept and I can definitely appreciate that. So Is there a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to elaborate on from earlier?
1: Uh, I think we've covered pretty much all good. And uh, well, you know, one of the things, um, for example, when we were talking about a virtual assistant, I think I wanted to elaborate uh, when we're talking about uh, saving uh, money and cost saving. On average, we've done an analysis, intercompany analysis on hiring in-house person versus hiring virtual assistant. On average, that's a $60,000 per year savings per employee at the company. Wow. So that's just out of itself is give you give, because when you hire somebody in house, people look at, okay, I can pay somebody $20 an hour. Okay, great. But just keep in mind, it's not going to be $20 an hour. You have to pay pay payroll tax. You have to pay benefits. You have to pay, you have to buy the infrastructure for the office person to run Whereas with a virtual assistant is way less, and you don't have to do any of that, so savings comes up to sixty, I don't know, thousand dollars per year. And if you think of it, you know, imagine this money being spent on hiring more help and scaling your business, or putting this money to marketing expense. So that's again something business owners should consider. That's huge, time.
2: sixty thousand a year per employee. Per year. Wow. Yeah. Average savings. Well, with that being said, how can listeners contact you if they're interested in learning more?
1: They can go to our uh, website, myvirtudesk.com or just Google Virtudesk, V-I-R-T-U-D-E-S-K and set up a demo call and we'll talk to them.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Pavel Stepanov, really appreciate having you on. It was a great conversation about entrepreneurship, leverage, virtual assistance, and you know your real estate journey is very interesting as well, coming from the <laughs> loan modification short sale side and kind of falling into it by accident. Yep. So yeah. You, know, you never know where a new opportunity will lead you. You never know what saying yes to a certain door in your life will open up other doors and to other opportunities. And, you know, it's always interesting to hear what someone's doing today as I'm interviewing them on my podcast and then what got them into the real estate industry in the beginning. It's it's always fascinating for me to find out that journey. So thank you for being here with us today. Really thank appreciate it. Thank you for
1: having it. me, Jeffrey. Yeah, appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening.